What's going on, guys? Welcome to another episode of the Boom Boom Performance Podcast. Today's Q&A, and it is fire. I'm super pumped for this Q&A because I asked, and, and guys, just know that I appreciate this stuff. I asked for some original, some creative, some out-of-the-box questions. It's been a while where I've been getting a lot of the same questions, guys. We've been getting a lot, and I, I love it because I get to go into the science about certain things, but a lot of times it's about... Um, hormones, reverse dieting, macros, which I get, that's kind of up my ballpark and that's what I help people do, <laughs> overcome these hurdles with their hormones and master their macros so they can burn fat and build muscle and so on and so forth. But I love some original questions, some things that make me think and some personal stuff too. It's always fun to go over um, and leave it up to my boy Marty Marr and some other people to ask some very original personality questions, which I miss, which I love. You know, a lot of times when I have a guest on the show, I ask them a personality question. Sometimes I forget or sometimes I see the clock and we're we're running down on time um, and I respect the guest's time because I know I like my time respected so I usually try to avoid the personality question unless I know I have a free five to ten minutes to spare um, but anyway I never get to answer these personality questions myself um, and, and I've been on more podcasts lately and uh, sometimes they ask them sometimes they don't but it's always fun so I'm, we're going to get into some of that today um, another thing that I wanted to talk about before we get into the show is a big announcement, and I've, I've mentioned Courtney, my latest coach, a couple times on the show, but I wanted to really talk about uh, growth and fear, honestly, and doubt and scarcity and resistance, and, and the reason I want to talk about this is because yesterday I had a team meeting um, with my team, so my assistant and admin, who is becoming a coach as well, um, but Tori, Courtney, who is nutrition coaching, who is taking on clients right now, who is crushing it with clients. I'm super, super grateful, super blessed to have her on my team because she is just a wealth of knowledge when it comes to nutrition. Um, so I'm super, super happy to have her on the team. I think it's going to be such a good asset to help more people. Um, and then Travis, the media guy who is helping me with all things content, podcast, video, Instagram, things like that to deliver more content and education to everybody. And we're sitting there having a team meeting and I kind of had different tasks and projects and things for us all to kind of go over and work on and all these different things. And I kind of had this moment and I just thought like, man, first of all, if you would have asked me if I would have a team of individuals helping me seven years ago when I started my blog, when I just started a blog, which I don't even know if it's up, I'm going to look for it and uh, see if I can find this. But basically it was a, um, it was called BeFitLiveGreat.Weebly.com. And basically, you had to pay money to get rid of the Weebly, and I was broke. So <laughs> that didn't happen. But I'm going to see if it's still alive, if it's still a website. And if it is, I'm going to link it in the show notes. If it's not, thank God, because it's horrendous. But, man, like, if you would have asked me if it would grow to this point, I would have laughed. I would have been like, no, there's no way. And, and the reason being is because I doubted that. Right? I doubted myself. I was, I was afraid of that growth because that growth meant more responsibility, taking more risk, stepping outside my comfort zone, right? And I've, I've had that experience recently by hiring employees, getting a team, paying people to be on my team and help me do more things, being responsible for individuals and their growth. Like, that's a scary fucking thing. Um, but the truth is, is, and I wrote a newsletter about this today, so I'll link, a, I'll, I'll link in the show notes how you guys can jump on the newsletter and get stuff from me there too, but... I talked about it today, like resistance is everything, and I've talked about it on the show, I've talked about it on Instagram, I've talked about this a lot of times. Resistance is everything. Resistance is the wall that we face when we want to make a big change. Resistance is choosing the salad over pizza. 
Resistance is staying home instead of going out. Resistance is doing the last set of high rep squats when you really don't fucking want to do it. Right? Beating resistance is all these things. Resistance comes in our lives whenever we want to make massive growth. Every time we're about to take a big step, we're about to take action, we're about to take risk, we're about to leap forward, we're about to accomplish more, every time this happens, we face resistance. Period. But the key to overcoming resistance is recognizing what resistance is. So if you can get familiar with resistance being a negative, a fake, a fiction, a false assumption, a self-limiting belief, a non-realistic story in your head, if you can realize this, then you can overcome it. See, resistance is going to be there regardless. We can't change that. So we can talk to motivational speakers all day. We can read self-development books. Resistance will be there. It's not about eliminating resistance. It's about recognizing it. Because once you can see resistance coming, once you can recognize that it's stepping in front of you, once you can learn when it shows up in your life, what you were doing when it shows up in your life, what aspect you were trying to grow in when it shows up in your life, that's when you can overcome it. That's when you can move past it. Because if you can see it, you can walk through it. That's the big thing here. And I think more people need to understand that. It's not about being this like superhuman that just never faces resistance. It's about being an authentic, a realistic person, right? Being transparent, being vulnerable, understanding that this shit just happens. And when you see it, you course correct, you move around it. Because I promise you it's easier to push through because you have to push into resistance. I promise you it's easier to push through when you recognize it. And that's why I love that saying, like, my anxiety is my excitement. Because half the time when you get this resistance, it gives you that, that anxiety feeling, that anxious feeling. It's just excitement. You care about this so much. You're so excited about this that you're getting worked up. And resistance shows. Right? So, so I, I wanted to talk about this because, one, because I wrote a newsletter about it. So it was on my mind. I just wrote that newsletter an hour ago. But... Also because we just had this team meeting yesterday and I started thinking about this. And I started thinking about how much I was resisting growing, how much I was resisting. Actually, I shouldn't even say how much I was resisting it because I dove right into it and I wanted this and I wanted this growth because I know it will allow my movement to get bigger and reach more people. But I faced so much resistance when it came time to scale, start new projects, hire employees, build, invest, time, money, a lot of it. I felt that resistance and it and it kept making me it's been a it's been a topic of my mind a lot recently because of the growth and because I because that's happening in my life I feel the need to share it with you guys and the one thing this is the the golden nugget of all this <laughs> ranting that I'm going on about the one thing that is allowing me to push through it more than anything something I learned from mentors over the years something I learned from very very powerful books Shout out to Byron Katie, loving what is. If you haven't read that and if you have any inner battles with yourself, mindset, anything, confidence, anything, read that book. If you have any negativities in relationships, read that book. It's fucking emotionally powerful. But anyway, this is something I stole from that book years ago, and and this helped me so much beat resistance. And it's so simple, you're going to laugh. Next time you face resistance, next time you recognize resistance, next time you feel resistance, next time you see resistance, ask yourself, is that really true? It's that simple. 99% of the time, it's not true. So 99% of the time, it's not true because usually when resistance comes into our life, we're on the brink of something big, right? 
And we're usually contemplating, we're procrastinating, we're waiting, we're doubting ourselves, we're fearing failure, we're fearing judgment. We have a lot of scarcity, a lot of anxiety, all these emotions that are all negative holding us back from taking action because we are creating stories in our head of why we will fail, why it, why it won't work, why we're not meant to be, why we are not good enough, all these different things. But if you stop and you write down, is that really true? And you try to write down every reason why it is true, you will come up with nothing. And you know what? The 1% of the time where you do come up with something, it won't pull you down negatively. It'll open your eyes and give you clarity that maybe that decision you were about to make isn't the right decision to make. And it takes the emotions out of it. But again, 99% of the time, you will write down, no, that's not true. Here's why. Boom, 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 boom. Because at the end of the day, it goes back to that question from Steve Krebs on my show. Why not you? Why not me? There's no fucking reason. So next time you feel scarcity, next time you feel resistance coming in, next time you find yourself procrastinating, think of the story that you're telling yourself and just ask yourself, is that really true? And I promise you it will change everything for you. Now, that that rant is finished, a nine-minute intro. (laughs) Sorry, guys. I felt the need to talk about that because, one, I wanted to shout out Courtney. Courtney is a badass nutrition coach who is joining my team. And I'm super fucking happy, super blessed, super thankful that she's on my team. But, two, that provided some resistance in my life when I knew she was coming on board. I mean, shit, I've been training her for this position not really training her, but I've been mentoring her on how to build her brand, build her business, market herself better, teach her some of what I do. And then we realize, you know, you're a great fit for the team. You should hop on board, which I think was kind of the plan the whole time anyway. But the point is, is I've been training her. I've been mentoring her. And the whole time I knew she was going to come on board. And that provided a lot of resistance of why I don't have what it takes to build this big movement and, and these these different resisting negative thoughts and stories and doubts and fears. And yes, guys, I have them too. Everybody fucking has them. The greatest coaches in the world, the greatest business owners in the world, the biggest podcasters you've ever heard, the biggest YouTube stars, everybody you can think of that you look up to that's successful. They have resistance. They have fear. They have doubts. We all have that negative shit that goes on in our head. The difference between people who win and lose are the people who ask themselves, is that true? They realize it's not. And then they move past those negative stories of resistance and they move on to better things. And I felt like I needed to tell you guys that. Um, And one last little quick shout out, actually two, sorry. First one being, if you want a chance to work directly with Courtney on your nutrition, if you're stuck, fat loss, performance, CrossFit, anything you can think of, she's a master of it all. I'm really, really pumped to have her on board because she is crushing it. And if you want a chance to work with her, we're doing an exclusive rate only this week because this is her first week officially coaching with Boom Boom Performance. She's been coaching with me for a while now, but behind the scenes. So if you want a chance to do that, there is a link in the description. You can apply for a free strategy call with her to talk to her about your goals and then set up coaching. This link is only going to work for this week only. After that, the exclusive rate is gone. No more chance available. So jump on it now if you want to work with Courtney. The second thing I want to remind you guys is that we have a Patreon account for this podcast. So if you want to help us grow the podcast in many ways, if you want to support the movement, if this podcast has helped you in any way grow um, your life or just helped your physique get better results and you feel like you want to donate to help us build this even more, get better gas, better equipment, all that stuff, you can donate to the show now. Even a dollar a month help, guys. Anything you want to donate, anything you think it's worth, there's a link in the description. You can do that now. Now, without any further ado, let's get on to these awesome questions. Question number one comes from Tommy Clark, 25. 
Hey, Cody, just had a couple questions for the Q&A. Is it necessary to have a loading phase, a loading dose of creatine when starting out? And which variation of creatine is the best one to use, or is there even a best one? Thanks so much. Looking forward to the show. All right, so, Tommy, the uh, loading phase, no, there is no need to do it. Uh, I believe uh, because what science has shown us, um, I mean, there's a little bit of I don't even think there's literature on it. I think it's just experience. I think people assume that you will get more creatine saturation faster if you do a loading phase. But what science has showed us that you have to have, like I want to say it's from three to six grams per day, which is about a teaspoon. So five grams is the typical general dose for most people. Um, if you have that much per day, it will go in your system. You will saturate the system and you will have creatine in your system. There's no loading needed. The loading phase was something created by supplement companies to get you to buy more. <laughs> because if, you know, I have to take 10 to 15 grams, well, shit, I want to get this shit done faster. So I'm going to take 15 grams because that's the higher dosage. And I need to take it for 7 to 10 days. So I'm going to take 15 grams for fi 10 days. Then I will move to 5 grams because then I'll be, quote, unquote, more saturated quicker. I need that loading phase. Really, it was just a way for me to run out of that tub of creatine faster so the company got more money quicker. Um, so the truth is, no, dude, you do not need a loading phase. I think it's all hype made up from supplement companies. Um, nothing really happens. The truth is, is, you know, it takes a little bit, yes, for your body to get saturated with creatine, but if you take five grams, it's going to happen. It's going to kick in when it kicks in. Once it's in your blood and all in your, in your system, you're good to go. Um, the best form of creatine is creatine monohydrate. There has been literally so many studies. I mean, you can go to PubMed. You can go to JISSN.com, Journal of International Sports Science Nutrition, um, all these different places, essentially, where they show studies, literature on these different things, whether it's training or nutrition or supplementation. There has been so many studies on creatine proving that it is a sound and good supplement, and it's safe. It will, so what creatine really does is helps you recover faster, helps bring hydration and sodium into the muscle, um, not sub subcutaneous. So if you're getting bloated, quote unquote, from creatine, what that really means is that you're getting a bad product and it probably has some like maltodextrin in it or some salt in it um, to try to make their cost cheaper, right? If they can put like in a one tub of creatine, if they can fill it three-fourths with creatine and one-fourth maltodextrin uh, or sodium or anything, then obviously they're going to save some money because they don't have to fill up the whole tub. That salt, that extra carb, whatever it may be, um, and, and I'm pulling both of those things out of my ass. I don't know what they actually spike it with, but I'm saying that if you are getting bloated from creatine, it's either A, something else in your diets or stress that you have not figured out yet, or it's a bad supplement because creatine stores water inside intracellular, intramuscular, right, inside the muscle cell, not subcutaneous. Subcutaneous is where it's under the skin, over the muscle. Intracellular is inside of the muscle, which means you would get a fuller look, which actually would probably make your skin look tighter because you'd have a bigger, fuller muscle look. So getting bloated is not a thing. Now, I, I kind of went on a rant with that, but basically creatine monohydrate is the only supplement um, version of creatine that has been like backed by study after study after study showing that it is 100% safe. It works. There's no doubt about it. Um, creatine S Esther and, and there's one that starts with a K too. I can't remember, but they're all essentially bullshit to be honest with you. Don't buy anything that's not just pure creatine monohydrate. Um, I, I like to use labdoor.com because it teach it shows you like studies that have been done to for purity. 
um, what it shows. Um, Bulk Supplements on Amazon is a great company that does very pure products. I'm going to link. I'll link some of these in the show notes. Bulk Supplements or Muscle Feast. Um, and I got it. And obviously, I have no affiliation with any supplement company. But Muscle Feast sounds so ridiculous. And it's funny because, like, the hardcore supplement names are usually the bad ones. But in this circumstance, Muscle Feast uses Pure Creapure, which is the most pure and quality and organic source of creatine in the world, Creapure, and it has a trademark, a copyright symbol on it, Creapure. It uses Pure Creapure, Pure Creapure, it's pure, if you didn't know, Um, and it is like ranked number one on quality, but of course it's called Muscle Feast, which is pretty weird, but um, I would go to that. There's a link in the show notes. I'll put that in there um, for Muscle Feast and for bulk supplements. But get creatine monohydrate. You do not need to load it. Take five grams a day and you are golden. Crazy Healthy Blonde from Instagram. Um, she's got a long question, but let's read it. Okay, I'm curious about protein. There are so many different studies out there on the effect of high protein. So the FDA recommends that on average, men only eat like 70 grams. I think she means men only need to eat like 75 grams. And for women, it's 59. Then there's that one gram of protein for every kilogram of body weight, which I think comes to eight grams every 20 pounds. I'm lifting, trying to increase muscle, but I'm wondering that I should eat for protein, what I should eat for protein. And also, is there a prime time of the day to have your most protein dense meal? So I'm wondering what you recommend to your female clients on average and why. So she doesn't say how hit, what she weighs. Um, I'm assuming she's from Europe if she's in kilograms unless she read a study. I've actually never heard the whole 8 grams every 20, kilo, 20 pounds. Hmm. That's different. Um, so here's the deal with protein, guys. Protein is – the FDA is – horrible. <laughs> it's just not a good recommendation um, for a couple reasons. One, we have to look at who they do studies on. There's no studies. There's one study I've ever read of, I think, like literally one, maybe, okay, maybe like five at most out of thousands of studies that use bodybuilders, advanced trainees. Almost always it's intermediate trainees, it's recreational trainees, it's new trainees, people who don't train, who they got into training for the study, or it's sedentary individuals or it's elderly individuals. And the reason being is because these people are the easiest people to get to participate in a study that controls their life and their diet. You know, it'd be very hard. Like, I'm a geek, and I'm not doing a bodybuilding competition, so if somebody asked me to do a study, I probably would do it, depending on how much it altered my lifestyle. But the truth is, is normally people who are serious about training will not change their diet, their schedule, their lifestyle, their sleep, all these different things, because it's a fucking study. They're not going to pay you a million dollars, so what's the point? So it's really hard to go off these. Now, the FDA is is using sedentary individuals, elderly individuals, so on and so forth, um, which, one, is bad because if sedentary individuals, especially if they're overweight, ate higher protein, way higher than 75 grams a day, they would have a higher metabolic rate probably because they're burning calories and and energy on a faster rate just because the thermic effect of food with protein is higher. They would be more satiated, and because protein is generally a very healthy food, quote-unquote, they would probably be getting more micronutrient-dense meals, less fast food, and probably lose weight. So I think that's wrong for that reason. For elderly people, as we age, our bones break down, and we actually need more protein. On top of that, our ability – to actually use muscle protein synthesis. So our body's muscle protein synthesis signal 
lowers as time goes on, as we get older. So for elderly people, they actually need more protein. Um, so I increase protein, and, and you, there's a literature to show this. I increase protein with like people who are over 40, for example, because that's when it starts, 50 even more, 60 even more. Now, it's not a crazy amount like, oh, you need two times your body weight now. But like literally like – you know, add 10 extra grams, add 20 extra grams. Like it, it, it does make a difference um, in their ability to build muscle, burn fat, things like that. Um, as far as what I recommend and uh, like the protein-dense meal, is there a prime time of day to have your most protein-dense meal? No, there isn't a prime time of day to have a protein-dense meal. The truth is, is every single meal should be a protein-dense meal because the, the thing with protein is there's a threshold. So we have Daily protein intake, for example, once we hit about like, I, th- I want to say it's 0.75 or 0.8 grams per pound. Let's just use 0.8 because it's easier. 0.8 grams per pound of lean body mass, but really just for body weight. Um, I would say lean body mass if somebody has 50 plus pounds to lose. Um, but in general, for most people, um, 0.7 to 0.8 would just be like the bare minimum. That's the minimum amount to, and the maximum amount actually, to build muscle. Right? And when we think about building muscle and that anabolic response, once we go to 1 gram, 1.2, 1.5, we don't really build more muscle. There's no studies that show that the more protein you have, the more muscle you build. Um, so I would say the bare minimum is actually the amount that like, you kind of hit that threshold of building muscle. Now, once you go into a caloric deficit, you need to increase that to 1 gram, 1.2 grams even, because maintaining muscle in a deficit is extremely hard. So there's a difference, right? So if we're at maintenance or we are at a surplus trying to build muscle, you don't need as much protein because you're not in a quote-unquote starved state of mind, right? Your body's not like scarce for food, for fuel, for, for maintaining its tissues, its bodily functions, its hormones, things like that. So when, when you're at maintenance or a surplus, 0.8 is the really the maximum amount that you're going to need to – build muscle. Can you go over that? Absolutely. If you like eating more protein, like I do, I eat 1.2 grams per pound, even when I'm not in a deficit, because I like protein. I like a big protein dense meal. Um, So is it going to affect your gains? No. Is it going to create, like, am I going to build more muscle than the guy who's at maintenance calories eating 0.8 versus my 1.2? No, I'm not. I might be more satiated. I'm not going to, and it might allow me to have a little more calories, which is another reason why I like high protein, but that's kind of a different topic with this. Um, but then we get into the case with my female clients, like you asked, and if I have a client who is 100 pounds, 115 pounds, 130 pounds, like I have some lighter clients who are already lean but want to get leaner, I will have them eating anywhere between 1.2 to 1.5 grams per pound. And the reason being is because if they consume 0.8 grams per pound, they are not hitting enough protein to maximize the threshold of muscle protein synthesis. And this is where things kind of change up. So from a daily intake perspective, we have 0.8 grams being like that threshold for most people. But for a daily meal intake to to target that muscle protein synthesis signal, we have to hit between 25 to 45 grams per pound. And there's actually been some studies that go back and forth, but some studies actually allude to you might actually get a bigger signal from having – 45 grams of protein per meal or 40 grams, I believe, then compared to 25 grams, depending on how far apart you space out your meals. And I want to say the difference is, is like if you're eating every two to three hours, you don't need to have 40 to 45 grams because amino acids are floating in your blood more. But if you're spacing your meals out four to five hours, you might benefit from like 40 to 45 grams per meal. Um, so when we look at a bikini competitor, let's say for a 125 pound bikini competitor, if she does 0.8 times her body weight, Well, now she's only consuming 100 grams of protein. And if she's eating 
five meals a day, that's only 20 grams, right? So we might not be maximizing that, that muscle protein synthesis signal. So if I add five more grams per meal, that ends up going up to one gram per pound. But if I want to keep her satiated while she's in a deficit or even maybe potentially maximize that threshold of muscle protein synthesis per meal even more by hitting 30 grams per meal, now I'm adding 50 grams. So now it's 150 grams for 120, right? So you start creeping up on that level. So it really depends. Um, I believe that there's no harm done because study after study after study has shown it's not going to affect your kidneys. It's not going to affect your liver. It's not going to affect your heart health. It's not going to affect it's – you're not going to add more body fat, Um so going a little bit above one gram per pound, if you're already lean and in that lighter range, I think is smart personally. Um, and that's kind of how I approach protein. Now, at the same time, if I have a client who comes to me and they're eating 75 grams of protein a day and they weigh 180 pounds, I don't up them to 180 grams right off the gate. Not every time at least. Sometimes for some individuals it works. Other times, probably not a good idea because that's a big jump. They're going to get bloated. They're going to possibly have some digestion issues. And it's just going to be hard from an adherence standpoint. There's, that's so much change within their diet. So we might go to up to like 0.6 times their body weight, then 0.7, then almost like reverse diet them with protein, right? Because we know it's not going to store as fat, but we just want them to ease into it. Um, so I, I think I covered that question. I mean, that was quite a bit. Um, I would say for most individuals, anywhere between 0.8 to 1.2 grams per pound is going to be your best bet. Next question is from Sherry.Story. From Instagram, can you explain how exercising affects your central nervous system, the good and the bad? I'm pretty sure I overworked mine, so recuperating from that would be helpful as well. Keeping in mind, for me personally, I have a baby that wakes up two to four times each night. So the effect exercise has on your central nervous system is really just an, it's like an intensity gauge. Like if we look at this almost like a thermostat, right? Like the, the higher you turn the thermostat, the hotter it it gets the harder the furnace is working or whatever. Um, that might be a shitty explanation, but basically the, the higher we ramp up intensity, the harder our nervous system takes a hit. Um, at the same token, volume can have that same exact effect, but at a lesser rate. And what I mean by that is it takes a lot of volume to damage your central nervous system compared to intensity, right? So we can have somebody that doesn't do a lot of intense training. Maybe they just do bodybuilding work. Um, so a lot of like quote unquote lower intensity, which is still hard. So you're still sweating. It's intense in that factor. But when we think of intensity, we have to remember intensity is explosive work and, um, load specific. So heavy loads. And we start introducing those kind of training sessions to those people, then their nervous system is going to take a bigger hit. Now, if you're not sleeping a lot, your nervous system isn't fully recovered because when we rest, when we sleep, we are repairing our hormones and we are repairing our nervous system, essentially. It's rest. Like, that's literally what we're doing. Our body goes into parasympathetic mode, which is the parasympathetic nervous system is basically rest and digest, right? Sympathetic nervous system is fight or flight. That's when cortisol rises. That's in the morning. That's when we want to train. That's like go. It's go time. Saber-toothed tiger's chasing us. It's a it's a ancestral thing. We're sprinting. We're getting after it. Um, rest and digest, however, is parasympathetic. That's when our body kind of comes down and recovers the nervous system. So basically the difference is, is like low intensity stuff is going to be less damaging on the nervous system. Moderately intensity stuff would be somewhat damaging, but not at such a high level. And then high intensity stuff will be obviously very I don't like to wor use the word damaging, but it does. Damaging 
on the nervous system, harder on the nervous system, right? Takes more stress onto the nervous system. Um, the thing with it is oftentimes there's kind of like this rebound effect or like delayed, delayed effect where maybe you start, this is happens to a lot of CrossFitters. Um, you're, you're doing CrossFit workouts and you feel fucking great. You're losing fat, you're building muscle, you're, you got good energy, you're training hard. But, you know, week after week after week after week of this, all of a sudden you just hit this big wall and you are drained and you don't know why. What's changed? Nothing has changed in weeks. Well, it's just catching up to you. It's a delayed effect. So we call that a recovery debt. And basically you've been kind of slowly, slowly, slowly putting out more than you're taking in. So maybe you're not eating enough. Maybe you're not sleeping enough. Maybe you're just not de-stressing enough because stress is stress. And this is something I talk to my clients about all the time. Like, whether it's emotional stress or work stress or financial stress or training stress or dietary stress, it is stress. So yes, these are different types of stress, but on your nervous system, it is just stress and it's going to weigh you down. It's going to burn out your nervous system. So if you want to do intense workout, like what I always recommend is like, okay, if we're going to go this hard this often, we need to really optimize stress levels in every other way possible. Bring up your calories, eat enough carbs, sleep seven plus hours a night, um, de-stress, meditate, gratitude journal, things like that, because it's really, really going to help. So, I mean, it, it's really hard to get into the science of how, like, it affects your nervous system, because basically it just does, right? Like, your nervous system is like the amp. This is the easiest way for me to explain it, and then I'll kind of wrap this one up. Your nervous system is like an amp. Your muscles, your joints, your body, everything else are, are the speakers, the subs, those things, right? So if you look at your car, you have this amp that's powering all your speakers. You listen to music, it's bumping, it's blasting. If your amp burns out, amp starts working, your amp overheats, your speakers do not work. Or they sound really fucking shitty. At that point, you're, that's your nervous system tapping out, right? It's the same exact concept. So our nervous system is like our amp. And without our nervous system being primed, ready, and functioning properly, our speakers, a.k.a. our muscles, our subs, a.k.a. our joints, all these different things, do not function the same way. Our body will not function the same way if our nervous system isn't primed and ready. So this is where it gets tricky because you want to ramp up your nervous system. You want that intense stuff, but you can only go so far. So this is why I love explosive work at the beginning of training. I love um, like low rep heavy weight training at the beginning of a high rep hypertrophy day because if we turn on our central nervous system, if we prime it, our body is actually going to recruit more motor units. It's going to recruit more muscle fibers. It's going to have more strength. It's going to have more energy. It's actually going to, you're going to build muscle better. You're going to burn fat better. You're going to do better during that session if you are amping up your nervous system at the beginning. Uh, but if you amp up your nervous system at the beginning and you keep amping it up, AKA a lot of CrossFit stuff, um, you're going to push it, right? So like they do explosive work at the beginning till the end. They're doing AMRAP of explosive work, heavy work, things like that. So when you're going that hard for that long, it is really hard on the nervous system. Now, that's not a bad thing. It just means that you have to balance things out. So this is where stress protocols, this is where low intensity cardio, this is where some bodybuilding comes into play um, on the side to make sure that you're managing and you're balancing that stress, right? Those stress levels, parasympathetic to sympathetic, breathing drills after your training, sleeping longer, taking a day between CrossFit workouts, things like that help a lot. I um, mean, I have some clients that do CrossFit that switch from doing five to six days a week of CrossFit to like two to three days a week of CrossFit and two to three days of bodybuilding with me. Man, crazy transformations. Um, Caroline is, do, is, is somebody who's mentoring with me that is doing this and we're, we're testing some things out. 
and she is lean. She is getting like it, it's cr she was already lean, but she's getting super defined um, from toning the intensity down. Um, we didn't cut it. She's still eating a lot of carbs. Um, we just took her refeed day out, so we're dieting her a little bit for this photo shoot, obviously. Um, but she's leaning out and getting way more defined by adding this bodybuilding in and toning down the intensity. So it's a cool little project to prove this, um, and she's crushing it. Um, but the point of this is, like, basically, your nervous system is an amp. Your speakers are your muscles, and they will not function properly. Your body will not work properly if you're – Amp isn't primed and ready and working properly. If you burn out the amp, you burn out your system, you will not work well. So it's basically balance. And if you have two to f uh, if your baby's waking up two to four times each night and you're you're getting less sleep, it's one of those things you just gotta recognize it and you gotta balance out your training, right? Like when I had this issue, like my my baby is really doing well sleeping through the night now, but when we first had the kid, like man, I I just knew that this was going to be the truth. I did strictly bodybuilding style training. My sessions were like 30 minutes. I trained like five to six days a week because I have a gym in my garage. But they were short, um, not super heavy, really high rep burnout style sessions because I knew it was going to be less damaging on my nervous system. But I still wanted to train. I still wanted to get a pump. Um, but I knew that if I stressed myself out in the gym, it would just be too much. I already have a business I'm running. I have a new family. And you have to recognize those things. It's hard to tone it down, but you really have to be your own um, advocate. You're not your own worst enemy, and you have to tone that down. Zoe Michaela from Instagram. What books have you read that have shaped the coach you've become? I know you've mentioned The Go-Giver before, but any others? Um, books that I have read that have shaped the coach I have become. Ooh, let's see. Right now, I love God's Little Instruction Book, too, <laughs> because it's like you open it, it's got a daily quote every day. Um, and I can't see my bookshelf from here because my uh, big boom, boom performance drop thing is covering it. Off the top of my head, the first ones that come to mind is definitely The Go-Giver. The Alchemist is such an amazing book. Um, the Leader Who Had No Title, that's huge. That's something I'm making sure all my team members read. Um, such a powerful book on just work ethic and, and how anybody can do anything, really. Um, the One Thing, huge. Um, there's so many good books out there. It's really, really hard to choose some. I really liked Jab, Jab, or not not even Jab, Jab, Right Hook. That was a really good one, too, by Gary Vee. But the other one, um, The Gary Vee Show, he did that book recently that was basically just questions from a show. I took a lot out of that because it's, like, direct questions from his, like, followers and about social media and, and directing help and stuff. So that was a really, really good one. Um, believe it or not, the Wayward Pines series, and that is a fiction book, like a science fiction, um, about the world ending and this guy having to survive in it. Um, really fucking cool books. Um, they did a show about it on Fox that was okay, but the book was way better. That was really cool because that – I'm a big believer in reading some fiction because I think it helps your creativity. This is why I like watching movies a lot, and this is why I like watching, like, um, Shannon's not as big of a fan of them as I am, but that's why I love Lord of the Rings. I love these, like, sci-fi, weird, alien, like, all these different movies because it just – I look at it like stepping outside the box. If this person can create like, – like Harry Potter, for example. I'm not a huge Harry Potter fan, to be honest with you, but the point is if you look at Harry Potter – this person created this insane fucking world with all these fucking characters that all have different powers and can do different things and had different stories in their lives and issues and struggles and insecurities. And, like, how can you be that creative? It's insane. But if you, if you read those kind of things, it really does help your 
creativity flow. It helps my writing a lot. So I'm a big fan of those. Um, let's see if I can end with a couple more. Um, let's see if I can pull my Kindle. I really think The Alchemist was one of the first ones that made a big change. Then The Go-Giver, The Leader Who Had No Title was so huge for me. Um, I've read a ton of training and nutrition books, but I don't think they shaped who I am as a coach, right? Like, I'm, I'm a big fan of the, the pyramids, um, some of Andy Morgan's work. I've read a lot of intermittent fasting stuff, deep nutrition, things like that. Um, Tribes by Seth Godin is another good one, too, I was just looking at. But, like, those things didn't shape who I am. Those just gave me more knowledge, right? So I think that, like, the biggest ones that shaped me as a coach was the go-giver, the leader who had no, no title, and the alchemist. Sam.Allen21 from Instagram. Do you have an overview anywhere of your home gym or what would be your home gym essentials? So I don't have an overview of what I have in my gym, but I think I have all the essentials. So one, and I think it's, it's more about like categories than specific equipment, right? So and what I mean by that is I believe you should have some kind of energy systems machine or equipment. So whether that is a rower, an aerodyne bike, a treadmill even, you need to have something to work aerobic, anaerobic, energy systems, cardio. Like you have to have something because um, I believe that you need to have somewhat of a whole holistic around approach to training. You can't just do barbell work, just do kettlebell work, just do powerlifting. It just doesn't work like that. So I would suggest something. I have an assault bike. Mine is an assault bike. That's what I chose. Sometimes I regret that choice quite a bit because it sucks, but um, that is huge. I think dumbbells are the next thing. I love barbells. I love kettlebells and all that shit, but dumbbells, if I had to choose one thing to have for the rest of my life, I would have like my Bowflex dumbbells, and it's adjustable from zero to 60. That makes a massive difference. Um, I think dumbbells are the most dynamic. You can do presses and squats and lunges and deadlifts. Like you can do everything with a dumbbell. So I'm a big, I think dumbbells are needed. You need a bench, obviously. Um, if you can, I have a squat rack. I would suggest getting a squat rack and plenty of plates because I do think it helps to, like I just, there's something about doing heavy deadlifts with bumper plates, right? Like just picking up a heavy load and just dropping that shit. Something about that just makes you feel fucking good. But also hormonally, um, it's very good for you to do heavy loads and stuff like that. So I do think having a barbell is pretty crucial. Um, I have, I mean, a pull-up bar. I have a pull-up bar, TRX, bands, jump rope, kettlebell, um, valve slides, uh, ab mat. Like, I have a bunch of shit in there, weight vest. But I think if I had to say what are the essentials, you need to have some kind of cardio equipment. You should have a dumbbell set up with a bench. If you can, get, it's obviously more expensive, but getting a squat rack and some barbells and plates, like, that would be a really clutch thing. And then it would be good to have some kind of, like, you can do it with all bands if you want, but, like, TRXs and stuff like that work really well because a lot of rowing and face pulls and stuff like that um, always helps. And having a pull-up bar, even if you're not doing pull-ups, having band-resistant pull-ups or hanging hollow holds and stuff like that is really good for you. Um, and then if you really want to go the extra mile, which I just recently did, haven't set it up yet, um, a cable machine. If you can get a cable tower, I think that is money because you can do a lot of cool stuff, especially for bodybuilding, but even for functional movements, right? Pow-off pressing, half-kneeling face pulls, lap pull-downs, like different things that some people can't get like for activation, for priming, for working muscle groups, finding a mind-muscle connection and going through movement patterns that actually get the muscle working that some people can't do 
with dumbbells, right? Like some people can't do a dumbbell pullover and really feel their lats. They feel their triceps more than anything, which makes sense because part of the job of the triceps is to extend the shoulders. And then at the top, they're going to feel their chest if they come all the way forward, which makes sense because you're pressing forward at the top of the movement. Um, but with a cable, you can do a lat pull down and really get those freaking lats engaged. So I think a cable machine would be ideal as well. All right, Alicia Collins, my client, Alicia R. Collins on Instagram. Okay, here goes. There's all this hype about fasted cardio. Is there something you should do every other day, twice a week? What are your th what are the benefits? How long should your fast be? On another note, there is the age-old question of cardio being weights or vice versa. Cardio before weights or vice versa. What is your opinion and why? So fasted cardio, I'm not going to dig in too much because I just did that with Christian Thibodeau, and I don't want to beat a dead horse. Um, I don't know why I just thought of this. That's kind of a fucked up term. <laughs> beat a dead horse. Like, what? Where the hell did that? If you know where beat a dead horse actually, or, or like, came from, where the origin story of that is, shoot me a DM on Instagram and tell me because that, that is weird. So, I think fasted cardio is great because it's, it's not, I, I don't, I'm not a fan of fasted high intensity cardio. Uh, unless you're a performance athlete and you're going to eat right afterwards. And the reason I say that is because sometimes your oxygen capacity and your ability to breathe um, is a little bit better when you're in a fasted state compared to having food prior. Um, so if you're strictly going for performance, I think that's good. But if you're trying to lose fat and maintain as much muscle as possible, not damage your nervous system, I'm not a big fan. I would rather pair up high-intensity cardio with my strength training. Um, so I'm a big fan of low-intensity cardio first thing in the morning, um, fasted, very low, like going on a walk for 30 to 40 minutes. And I like basically long story short, there's different fat cells in your body and there's different alpha receptors that bind to these bat cell, fat cells and oxidize them and burn them off through lipolysis and stuff like that. So in the morning, it's a possibility that you're able to get that process going faster because you have not consumed any foods, any carbohydrates, any glycogen for a certain amount of time. Your body might be more responsive to burning fat or stubborn fat in the morning in a fasted state when doing very low-intensity cardio. And they actually had some studies to prove this. But if you want to dive into that deep, man, like Christian Thibodeau goes deep into the science on that last podcast I did with him. So definitely check out part two with him. Um, so how often should you do it? It really depends. I think everybody should walk more. So, I mean, I'm a big fan of it. Um, if you're trying to cut fat, you could do it every day. It's not something that's going to damage your nervous system if you're walking slow and you're only doing, you know, 30 minutes a morning. It, it really isn't that bad. Maybe drink some caffeine for, before and go. I think you can do it every day if you want. Um, will twice a week benefit you? Absolutely. So it really just depends. The benefits are basically just cardiovascular health and possibly Obviously, some caloric burn, but more so caloric burn specifically from stubborn fat. Um, it's it's not something to like put all your ducks or put all your money on, right? Don't bet everything on it because it's not something that's gonna like get you shredded in a week. But it is something that could help a little bit, give you that extra percent, extra one to five percent, which I think is worth it in a lot of people's cases, right? If you can get that little edge on things by an easy thing like walking fast, it I think it's important. And for me, it's it's walking meditation. I walk in the morning either with quiet silence, no headphones, or I walk in the morning listening to some kind of audiobook or podcast studying like science-based stuff. Um, and it's just quiet time for myself. Nobody's outside at 5.30 in the morning, and I love it. So it kind of de-stresses me too. Um, and then with cardio before or after weights, after 
Um, I think like they did some studies and showed like if you do very low intensity cardio for a shorter bout of time, I think it was like 20 minutes or less before your training, it's really not going to make a huge difference to your performance. But if you notice a difference in your performance because of it, then it's not advantageous. High intensity cardio before your training is stupid because you are burning yourself out. You're wasting glycogen. You're pushing yourself hard right before you're about to get into a serious weightlifting session. So if you're doing that, you are literally wasting your energy prior to getting into an important training session that is going to help you build strength, build muscle. So doing hit before training is stupid. Doing hit after training is good because you've done your priorities. You've done your compound lifts. You've done your accessory moves. You've done your work in the gym. Now you can finish with some high intensity, get the heart rate up, get your metabolism up. It'll actually spike muscle protein synthesis even higher post-workout. Um, and you can just do three to five sets of something very explosive for 15 to 30 seconds, taking like one to three minutes break so you get a full rest. Go at it again, get your heart rate up. Um, that's very advantageous. Advantageous. It's very smart if you're going into a cut, uh, but it needs to be properly placed. If you're doing high-intensity cardio every day, not a good idea. If you're lifting four days a week and you want to place high-intensity intervals at the end of each training session and you're just doing like lists on the other days, low-intensity cardio, super smart idea. Uh, but I would definitely suggest at the end, um, whether no matter what kind of cardio you're doing or separating it five to seven hours away from your training session just so it doesn't have any effect on your strength and recovery. Next question comes from Fabiot93 on Instagram. How to balance hypertrophy training in the gym and doing group classes, F45, Barry's Boot Camp, with friends? I don't know what those are, but I'm assuming some kind of boot camp style class. Want to build muscle but still be sociable by doing classes with my mates. So I think the it's all about balance, right? Like I recently interviewed, um, actually this morning, Jason Phillips for the membership site I'm creating. So guys, if you haven't heard me say, a membership site is in the works. It's being built out. Content is being put in. It's going to be awesome. Um, it's going to be extremely cheap for what's in there. So be on the lookout for that. But we are doing an interview for that membership site. And uh, we were we were kind of talking about, um, I almost lost my train of thought there. We were talking about sympathetic versus parasympathetic. And this kind of goes back to that um, nervous system question that I just answered. But basically, we got to think of things like there's parasympathetic and there's sympathetic nervous system. And, and I'm going to get to the hypertrophy thing. Just, just follow me here. We need to balance the two of those out. So for every sympathetic output, whether that's a very hard training session, a very stressful day at work, whatever it may be, we have to pair that with a parasympathetic input, extra sleep, rest, proper nutrition, water, like whatever it may be. We need to pair that up. We have to have this ratio balanced. Um, we can't have too much sympathetic and not enough parasympathetic. Otherwise, we will not get results. The reason I'm telling you this is because when we look at balancing our training with boot camps like that, it all depends on the intensity of the boot camp. If you're going to a boot camp that's extremely high intensity and it does wear down your nervous system, you need to understand that that's a sympathetic input and you need to input a parasympathetic thing to match that. That being said, hypertrophy training can also be sympathetically damaging. So what we want to do is just pair these up properly. So I would suggest three days of hypertrophy training, two days at max of these boot camps, and then two days of complete rest, maybe some walking. Right? If you're going to match these two things up, you have to have rest. You have to be sleeping seven plus hours a night. Your macros need to be on point. You probably shouldn't be in a deficit. So you need to look at all these things. Right, um, Or 
if you are trying to lose fat and you do want to do these boot camps as your cardio and you want to do hypertrophy training the other day, so let's say you're doing three to four days a week of hypertrophy training and you're doing two to three days as well of this boot camp style training as your cardio, you just need to understand that you need to tone down one of the two. So maybe you go to this boot camp class and or it's a CrossFit class and you're not going to do the prescribed weight, right? It says 200 pounds, but you can do the lower weight and do 100 pounds, or you can do just body weight on some of this boot camp stuff. I would go with that route. Get your heart rate up, have fun in it, but do not try to push yourself past that level. We all have that threshold level. Do not try to push yourself past that intensity threshold. Do not try to go super heavy in these classes. Tone it down a notch. Or go hard as hell in these classes, and then when you go to do the bodybuilding stuff, you're not doing a high-intensity finisher. You're not doing loads, heavy loads of like less than six to five reps. You are doing higher rep, burnout, like pump, pump rep stuff, lightweight, high rep, stuff like that um, because that's not going to be as damaging on your nervous system. It's going to be more metabolically taxing and muscular tissue-wise taxing. So I think it really just comes down to balancing it properly. Um, doing a 50-50 split, probably better so a 60-40, 75-25 split of the higher percentage being hypertrophy-style training, the lower percentage being very uh, intense boot camp stuff. Um, I wouldn't do too much of that. Um, just because it goes a little too far. She had another question. Um, he or she, I'm sorry, I didn't look at your profile. Hopefully it's a she. Got another. How important is it to eat carbohydrates in the meal following your workout? Recovery negatively affected? I asked because I, tr I train early in the morning, fasted before work, and then eat when at my desk. If I drop carbs in that meal, I feel drowsy and slow. Would rather have a salad with proteins and fats at work, and then when I'm home for dinner, eat my carbohydrates then, but not sure how this will mess up my uh, recovery. Current goal is to build muscle and strength. Thanks. Um, there were some typos in there. That's why I was trying to slowly read. It's not my reading, guys. Don't don't try to clown on me for that. Sometimes these questions have bad grammar, and it makes me sound like a poor reader, and I promise if you were on this side of the screen, you would understand. Um, so uh, with this question, so studies have shown as long as you have protein afterwards, you're not going to negatively impact recovery. Glycogen is replenished within a 36-hour period. So as long as you have carbohydrates within that 24-hour period, you're, you're straight. What I would suggest to something, someone like this is I would – if your goal is building muscle um, – let's sleep later. Um, if your goal is building muscle and strength, I would not train fasted first and foremost. I, I just wouldn't – what I would do is have a – Easily digestible way, so like a, a very like an isolate where you have like zero fat in there, less than three grams of carbs, um, a really good quality product, so you're not digesting ton of whey, but like a really thin light whey protein isolate, 25 grams, and then I would have 25 to 50 grams of cyclic dextrin in that shake right before you train. Um, if you're fasted and you drink that in the morning, your pumps will be insane, but you will perform better. I promise you that because the whey protein and the cyclic dextrin will be rapidly digested into your bloodstream to help you perform better since you did not have a meal before you. Like since you train faster right now, like go try this and then DM me and tell me how much better your training session is in the morning. Because if you're training for true strength and muscle, I promise you it'll be better. And on top of that, it's very, very important to make sure that you actually have nutrition and nutrients on lock going into that training session. Um, now, the rest of the day, have a meal with protein and fats after your workout, specifically protein. You don't need to, like, I wouldn't do a ton of fats in that meal. Um, 
Actually, I guess it really wouldn't matter, to be honest with you, um, because at that point, you're not having carbohydrates and you're not worried about slowing the digestion down. So I would just go into your normal meals, have your lunch with protein and fats, have another meal with protein and fats. Once you get off work and you're not worried about the carbs kind of slowing you down and putting you into that parasympathetic mode, then you can carb load and you can have all your carbs at night. So your carbs would literally come from a 50 gram shake in the morning right before training you would then have, um, and to be honest with you, you could even do 25 right before and then 25 grams of that shake afterwards. That cyclic dextrin will be so rapidly digested, it'll help blunt the cortisol response, which will help your recovery, but I promise you it won't slow you down during the day like a slow digesting carb will, like a sweet potato or oats or rice or anything like that. Um, so I would have cyclic dextrin before and after training. Um, I would have whey protein in the before shake and I would have BCAs with the cyclic dextrin in the after shake um, because you're going to end up having protein in that meal afterwards. Have your normal protein and fat meals, whether that's one or two during the day. At night, you have a good amount of carbs. So I'm talking 100 to 150 grams of carbs just in that meal from starches. Obviously, you're going to have some trace carbs from veggies or fruit throughout the day, whatever you're eating. Um, so you end up eating a decently high carb diet, but it's mainly from that workout nutrition and that nightly meal. That nightly meal, when you have 100 to 100 grams, 150 grams of carbs, those are going to be stored as glycogen and used the next morning. So you don't have to worry about going into your training session completely fast anymore. One, you have the cyclic dextrin, which is going to rapidly digest and get you started. But two, you will already have your glycogen uh, stores tapped out or full going into that session, and it will help a lot um, going into that session. So you don't have to worry about it because, again, if you're eating low glycemic, high fiber carbs at night, which I recommend for your nightly carbs, they're going to be slowly digested, slowly absorbed into the bloodstream, slowly absorbed into the muscle cell, pulling the water slowly, and then you're going to have a better workout the next day. It's not going to, it's not one of those things where you eat a sweet potato for breakfast and an hour later you're using that carb source for fuel. It doesn't work like that. Um, there is some dopamine and serotonin responses from when we eat carbs that can benefit some people depending on your neurotype. So I would look into Christian Thibodeau's work, um, who's been on my podcast before. All right, the last question. I got so many questions. I'm, I'm literally gonna we're gonna record a second Q and A for the Facebook questions because I just did. I just ran through all the Instagram questions except a couple. I left a couple out because um, I've already answered them in the past. Um, but I have a ton of Facebook questions too, which is awesome. So I'm gonna record a second episode here in a bit uh, doing the Facebook questions. But I have one last question from Facebook. It's a personality question from Martin Foster, Marty Mar. He said, you get two tickets to any event in the history of time. Could be a sporting event, concert, comedy show, etc. What are you attending? <sighs> he didn't ask me who I'm bringing. And I think that would kind of depend on where I'm going. So, two things come into mind. Number one would be a comedy show. And I'm not going to choose the comedy show simply because I can't decide on the, the person I would see. Uh, part of me is like I would go see Eddie Murphy when he was just crushing it, right? Um, but then the other part of me loves like some of these older dudes from SNL like like Will Ferrell and Adam Sandler and stuff, and I would be interested to see them on stage when they first started. But that's not going to be my choice. Actually, I had three things that come to mind. The, the second one, you're going to laugh. The second one was a jousting event in medieval times. But the truth of the matter is I don't know how realistic some of the shit I see on TV is, so I'm not going to choose that either. But what I am going to choose is Woodstock. Woodstock in the late 60s, early 70s, one of the two. Um, and the reason for this is simple. Number one, I just listened to a podcast recently with Steven Tyler on it. If you haven't listened to that, if you don't listen to Joe Rogan, go listen to that. 
It's awesome. It's extremely interesting. It's kind of hilarious as well. Um, Air, I mean, Steven Tyler from Aerosmith has had a crazy journey in his life. He has taken a lot of drugs, and you can tell. <laughs> and it's interesting hearing his point of view on things. It's interesting hearing his stories, what he's been through, all these different things. Um, and then on top of that, I love classic rock. Like one of my big things is I love listening to some old, old – I mean, I'm looking at the records on my wall, and I got like Ted Nugent – um, the Scorpions, Led Zeppelin, Pink Floyd, the like really old bands that I love. Um, and there's so many more that are included in that that I would assume have been to Woodstock. So I would love to go to Woodstock and I would bring my brother because my brother, I just feel like would be the best person to be my partner going to Woodstock. So if I could go to any event in the history of time, I would go to Woodstock in the 19, late 60s, early 70s. I would see some of the coolest bands. And I would go with the flow and be a hippie for a day. And I think that would be probably the most awesome experience I could possibly do with a time machine. All right, guys, that is a wrap. I hope you enjoyed the show today. A couple quick announcements before I let you go. First and foremost, I just want to encourage you to check out the products I have in the description. First one is the Nutrition Hierarchy. This is a very cheap guide to literally mastering your diet. That's why it's called the all-inclusive guide to mastering your diet. It's going to teach you exactly what and how to manage your calories, your macros, your meal timing, your supplements, your micronutrients, literally everything you need to know about dieting and nutrition and how to change your body composition through nutrition is included in this book, not just to get your results, but to actually teach you how to get those results along the way. The next thing is going to be functional muscle, which is my first and right now my biggest product out there. This is the program that is based on years and years and years of functional training with tons of clients. So whether your goal is strength, fat loss, or muscle gain, you should be strength training towards these goals while prioritizing functional movement patterns to make sure that you are avoiding any injuries along the way. That's exactly what this program does, and it's great because it guides you through the process, it changes throughout the process, and it gives you demonstrations and explanations about everything you're doing so you never get confused and you always have a solution. You also get access into the Boom Boom Performance Podcast Forum, and that is the only way into the forum, and that's where you can ask me literally anything about anything, and I will help guide you through the process. Last thing I want to mention, guys, is if you could leave me a five-star rating and review, that would be fantastic because it literally is one of the biggest and best ways for me to grow in the iTunes charts. Oh, yeah, and real quick, if you're not subscribed, hit the damn subscribe button because I constantly bust out content for you guys, and I spent a lot of time and effort making sure that you guys can get better results for free by simply listening to this podcast. All right, guys, I'll catch you next time.